I just invite you, Holy Spirit. I invite your presence, Lord God. Just come. It says that the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And so, God, come. Come and dwell amongst us. Come and transform our hearts, Lord God. Let your Word speak to us today. Let it transform us today, Lord God. Let us be changed because of your Word today. We just invite you here. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're in this series right now called Heaven in This House, and uh, it's been a fantastic series. We've been talking about lots of different uh, parts and perspectives, and today I'm going to talk about invitations, heavenly invitations. Now, uh, some of you, like me, like to get an invitation. Who here likes to get an invitation? If you're online or if you're in the... Yeah, we like invitations. Somebody's saying no, they don't like invitations. I, I love you, girl, but what? what? I got to talk to her afterwards because I just love invitations. I love it when people invite me to a wedding or to a party. I know you're probably not very surprised. I do like to party in a, you know, a God party. I just love to party. I love to celebrate. I love to dance, actually. I love to dance. And I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I, I do love to dance. You see, we love to get invited to dinner or to the movies or to hang out with friends. We love invitations. And I actually dug out for you, and I'm going to hold it up maybe so Dwayne can see it and our online viewers. This is my wedding invitation. Guys, isn't this the sweetest? Look at this. This is my wedding invitation. Almost, well, it's actually 26 years old because this year I married 26 years to the cutest man on earth, the most wonderful man. And actually, I have to tell you, when he walked in today uh, with coffee, and I, it wasn't the coffee that distracted me. It was Dwayne. I was distracted. He is a hunk of burn in love. Like, I was distracted. He's so cute. <laughs> we just love invitations, right? I have to show you. This was my son's wedding invitation, uh, Noah. He married the most wonderful girl, Taylor. And uh, this was their wedding invitation. You know, oh, look at them. You can see them there. They're just the sweetest. I know. I have a blessed mama. I'm a blessed mama. We love invitations, right? And heaven has a lot of invitations for us, right? There's a lot of things that God wants to release and is releasing to this house, to this city, to this world. There are heavenly invitations. And I got really excited about it this week when I was thinking about it. Um, and about this series, right? Just talking about heaven. I just love it. Just love it. Well, I was also thinking this week, what is the opposite of heaven? Right? Good question, right? What's the opposite of heaven? To truly appreciate heaven, I also need to know what the opposite is. That's kind of where my brain goes. And so I started thinking, okay, so I know heaven, but what's the opposite? And we know it's called hell, right? And the Bible speaks a lot about hell. There's a lot of scriptures and references to hell in, in the Bible. There's 162 references, actually, in the New Testament alone. And 70 of these were spoken by Jesus Christ himself. So the, they're the red letters, Jesus spoke about hell. And so I'm not going to dig deep into the idea of hell, but I did want to share just a few little things as I was studying um, the scripture. 
that, that, it's, that Jesus says about hell, and he says it's a place of everlasting fire. I don't really want to go there. It's a place prepared for the devil and his demons. Uh, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. And if you have heard the song that we have playing in the back basement staircase during the week to try and curb people from camping out, it's like a wailing and gnashing of teeth kind of a sound. And it actually just puts me on edge and I start like, ah! So that's just a little tiny, you know, diluted amount of what this is, wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place for the unbelieving. It's the realm of death. And this is the yuckiest one. This one just hit me so much. It's a place shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. This is not a, a destination. You want to get on your uh, list of vacation places to go, right? This is not a Disney World destination kind of a place. This is just a fragment of what Jesus says is, is hell. You see, and for me, I need to understand a little bit of it so that I can appreciate and understand heaven just a little bit more. Because we learned a few weeks ago through this series that, that heaven has a lot of descriptions, but the main point, the goal, what we want to pick up is that it's about God. It's about God's presence. He says he's going to prepare a place for us, but it isn't about the location. It isn't about the address. It's about God. It's about being in his presence, and that's the beauty of heaven. You see, but when we take a little look at hell, we also discover that the, the enemy, uh, Satan, adversary, devil, Lucifer, morning star, he has lots of names. He wants us to think that we are the, that, that he is the opposite of God, okay? The enemy wants you to think that he is the opposite of God and that he's powerful like God, all right? The enemy wants you to think that Satan is on one side and God is on the other side. He wants you to think that he's an equal opponent to God. God's here, Satan's here. This is what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to think he is so cool. There's no rules over on his side of the camp, right? You get to do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Don't worry about drinking too much. Don't worry if you aren't a part of a church family and all you can do is criticize it. Don't worry, right? That's what the enemy wants us to believe over on that side, that there's no rules and it's freeing. It's wonderful over here on this side. And he even mocks God and is like, oh, you don't need all those rules. It's like a prison cell. It's like a jail. So, you know, stay over here on the cool side. And this is what the enemy wants us to believe. Now, the enemy also wants us to believe that there's this celestial uh, boxing ring battleground that's going on, and sometimes the enemy wins, and sometimes God wins, okay? This is what the enemy wants you to think, and seriously, like, are you kidding me? But we're going to get to that some more, but that just already gets me like so riled up. I'm like, oh, don't you go there. But this is what he wants us to think, is that it's this equal footing, this equal playing 
field where there's this celestial battle that's going on. He tries to trick us into believing that he is an equal opponent to God. And God, he's just like, I am who I am. That's what God says. He doesn't get in the ring and fight the enemy. He's like, I am who I am, right? You see, God created Satan. God created the enemy. The enemy is not self-existent. Stop and think about this. The enemy is not self-existent. He was created by God, right? So how can something that was created by God be equal to God? It just can't. It just can't. It just doesn't make sense, right? But this is what Lucifer tries to do. He tries to trick you and twist the words and make you think that there's this equal fight that's going on between good and bad, between God, God's over here and Satan, right? You see, Satan is not sovereign. He does not have the attributes of God. He operates within certain freedoms of the government of who? God. God. He operates within the government of God. He has to get permission from God, such as the story of Job, right? He had to get permission in order to, to tempt that person, right? The, the enemy has to get permission from someone. And when you have to get permission from somebody, that means you're not an equal. That means they're your boss. They are sovereign. They are in charge, Right? And a few weeks ago, I talked about how the enemy has to um, get permission, right? But that we have all authority because we bear the image of Christ, right? So we have authority, whereas the angels and demons, they don't. They have uh, power and they have capacity, but they have to get the authority from God or from us. There's this story in Luke 8, and uh, it's a story, we probably know it, we know it well. There's this guy, and he's being tortured by demons, and he comes out to meet Jesus, and the demons react to Jesus' presence. The demons know that this is God, right, that that Jesus is God. The demons know this, and so they react to his presence, and then um, Jesus says to them, what is your name? And he's speaking to the the demons, and they reply, legion, right, because the man was filled with many demons, and the demons are bugging Jesus, and what they ask is so incredible. It's so remarkable. They ask Jesus not to send them back to hell, not to the bottomless pit. Even the demons know this is not a vacation destination. This is not a place where you want to go. You don't want to go there. Even the demons are asking. And so then in 832, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons themselves would rather go into the, de- to, into the pigs than back to the abyss, back to hell. You see, they had to get permission from Jesus to move from one location to the other. And why is that? Because the devil is not omnipresent. Okay? The devil is not everywhere. 
He is not. Don't think that the devil is everywhere. He is not. He is limited spatially. He can only be in one place at a time. A demon can only be in one place at a time, right? And so these demons were in this man, and they were like, Jesus, we know you're God. Would you put us into the pigs? And so they were transferred spatially. They moved from one location to the other. They are limited, And I've seen this with my own eyes. There was one time uh, somebody had brought me a a photo. They They thought that they were going crazy because they were seeing a whole bunch of spiritual activity. And they brought me this photo to show me a photo of a demon. And um, I have seen demons in my house and and around lots and lots of places. So I didn't think that this person was crazy whatsoever. But when I looked at the photo she showed me of the demon, what I actually saw and what God revealed was that there was a demon behind the demon. You see, they have a system. They actually have to be quite organized, Because they have a system. There's levels and layers. And remember that they are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once. So they must have a structure where they can tell each other stuff really quickly so that they can transfer and move that information around. Why? Because they want to trick you. Because they want to harm you. Because they're coming after you, right? But they're not omnipresent, right? The devil is highly organized, but he is not omnipresent. He cannot be in all places at the same time. And who is omnipresent? Oh, there's only one, and his name is God. There is only one that is omnipresent, that is present everywhere. And because God is omnipresent, he says to you and I, you are never alone. You're never alone because, you see, God isn't limited by space. He doesn't need a system where he can communicate between layers and levels. He comes directly to you. You encounter his presence in its fullness. You don't have to go through somebody. And he releases the angels, but again, there's no system. It's God, and he releases the angels to do his work, to do his will. Is this making sense? Is this making sense? Okay. I know this is like heavy, deep stuff, but we need to understand it because we're going to get to this invitation part. So God is omnipresent. Who's omnipresent? Who's not omnipresent? That's right. He is not. We laugh at him. All right. The other, the next one is that the devil is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-wise. He's not all-seeing. He cannot predict the future. And if you've gone to a fortune teller or a psychic, they're going to tell you that they can predict the future, but they actually can't because demons cannot predict the future. The enemy cannot predict the future. Why? Because he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing, all right? Now, what they can do is they can talk to each other. So they can look at our past and our habits, and they can see the things that we do, and then they can tell each other, oh, you know what? Uh, About four o'clock every day, she likes chocolate. So you could just trick her and trip her up because she likes this one thing. She does this habit every single day. He can see the things. He can see the breakfast that I have, right? And so because there's this structure in the system, the demons can talk to each other, and they can tell each other stuff. And we are creatures of habit. Are we? Yes, we are. Who eats 
the same breakfast pretty much every single day. Yeah, all of you, all of you. I, I'm telling you, you do, right? We eat the same breakfast every day. We are creatures of habit. So it's really easy for the enemy to be able to see the things in our past and predict what it is that we're going to do in the future, isn't it? If my mom passed away three years ago, the enemy's going to know there's a tenderness, there's a hurt, maybe there's a fear, and he can use that to predict something in the future. The devil is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Have you ever wondered why you might have had a friend or maybe yourself, you've, you've, somebody you've known that's been abused repeatedly but by different people? It's because the demons talk to each other. So if I have a demon that's sitting on me and I have a past, a physical abuse of some kind of trauma, then if an abuser comes into the room, there's a structure for the demons to talk. So they can communicate with each other, and in this whole room, I might be the only one that's been abused, and that guy will come to me. Because the, the enemy, the demons know I have that hurt, that I have that trauma, that I have that past. And so they know, it, and I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything. I don't want it, and I don't want to be abused again. But I have a low self-confidence. I don't have a value of myself. I don't have a worth of myself. And so I can easily fall into the, the victimization, right? To be the prey of somebody. And, and that abuser will find me. Why? Because the demons have a system. Because they talk to each other. Now, don't be freaked out by this. Because who do you believe in? You believe in God. And who is the number one? It's God, right? God created the enemy. So the enemy is lower. So you might think, oh, he's super powerful and scary, and I'm really intimidated. No! God is on your side. God fights for you. God is omnipresent. He never leaves you or forsakes you. The reason we want to talk about this is that we want to equip ourselves. We want to prepare ourselves. We want to know who our adversary is so we can kick him in the butt. You get the heck out of here. Because I know you're second I know you're a copycat, and I don't really want copycats. I want the real thing, and the real thing is Jesus Christ. Anybody say amen. Anybody say amen. I feel like everyone's sleeping today. All right. Thank you. Now, God is omniscient. I want you to say God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is wise. There is, there's no thoughts that we can hide from God. There's nothing that we hide from him because he is all-knowing. He is, and he's so loving and kind and tender. And he not only knows your thoughts, but he wants you to know his thoughts. There's no systems, there's no layers, there's no bureaucracy, there's none of that crap. He wants you to know him and his thoughts. You see, God is beyond time. He is outside of time. He is timeless. 
He can see the past, he can see the present, and he can see the future. It's like if this podium is time and and I represent God, God is outside of time. So he can see time, he can see everything going on within our world, and yet he's outside of it. So he can see the past and the present and the future. That's our God. That's our God. Yes. He's the only one that can reveal to us. And that's where prophecy comes from. He will reveal something that's coming because he's timeless and he can see all those things. The devil is not omnipotent. I always get this word wrong. Omnipotent is actually how you say it. I always want to say potent because I just love that. It's like potent. But it's actually omnipotent is how you say it. The devil is not I was going to do it again. (laughs) Omnipotent. (laughs) The devil is not all-powerful. He is limited, right? Like I said before, he's spatially limited, and he is nowhere equal to our God, right? He has to get the permission of God in order to act and to to have uh, permission and authority. But he does have power, He does have capacity, and so he likes to spook you, and he likes to twist things, and he likes to tell you lies, and he likes to freak you out. He likes to twist the truth. He is an enemy, and he absolutely hates you. He is for real. But here's my question for all of us. Just because we believe in something doesn't mean we follow it, right? Are you really wanting to say, yes, I'd like to fall in line and follow somebody who's a manipulator, a copycat, a counterfeit, a forgery, an imitation? Like, bleh, 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 bleh. No, I don't want any of that. It tastes disgusting. I want the real thing because God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And in Hebrews 1.3, it says, The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mere image. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of the spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of our sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one like oh that's your god that's your god he holds the universe together in his hands does the enemy hold the universe no he's been created by god and he does not He does not. He doesn't even really have the authority. He has to get permission from somebody else. God is omnipotent. You see, one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven when God said yes to casting Lucifer out of heaven, right? One-third of the angels went with Lucifer are, are now demons. So how many does that mean are left in heaven? Two-thirds. So just the math of it. We win. We win. There's only a third over here, and there's two-thirds. We win because God is omnipotent, right? 
And guys, I am not diminishing the attacks of the enemy. I am not, because I know that we all struggle, and I struggle with the attacks, those firing darts that he loves to bring towards us. But when we know and understand who our accuser is, and I don't even want to use the word opponent, because he's not an equal opponent. It's like I'm standing here in the authority of Christ, and the enemy is coming at me down there because he is lower than God. He is lower than. And you are an image bearer of God. And so the enemy is lower than. So it's like, it's not even a fight. I got to just put on my spiritual armor. I got to, I got to get the clothing of righteousness. I got to be sanctified. I got to walk in obedience. I got to chase after the presence of God because he is all powerful. He is all-powerful. Now, the U.S. military um, uses this terminology that's called high-value target. And so maybe some of you have heard this before. It's called HVT. And a high-value target is an enemy um, that they need to take down in order to complete a mission, all right? So if you think back into the past, Osama bin Laden would have been a high-value target. Um, Al-Qaeda, the officers of Al-Qaeda were high-value targets. Former Iraqi president Saddam Hussein, um, which doesn't his name just like Saddam insane, right? It's just like, okay, okay. He was known as a high value target, right? And so there are high value targets that the enemy is going to go after, all right? And who, who, what's the first one? Who do you think is the number one high value target that the enemy is going to go after? Yeah, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Okay, the reason why I sound a little surprised is when I first heard this, I thought, oh, it's me. <laughs> it's me, right? I'm the high value target because I love Jesus. And I've laid down my life for him. And I pick up my cross every single day. And so I'm the high value target. And then I started thinking about it more. And I was like, no, it's Jesus. It's always the right answer, right? It's Jesus. The enemy hates Jesus, right? He just hates him. I remember back to watching the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and they did such a phenomenal job of showing uh, the enemy in behind the crowds as Jesus was being led to the cross because the enemy thought he won, right? He thought that he was victorious. He thought that this was his plan. Why? Because Jesus was a high value target. And then Jesus died and defeated sin and death and was resurrected. And enemy, you just stay down there. You just stay down there because you're nobody. You're nothing compared to our Jesus. The second high value target are, uh, who do you think that is? Do you think it's us? It's not. It's not us. It's actually the angels, right? Because there's this spiritual battle that's going on. There's this great story in Daniel 10. I encourage you to go read it, where um, Daniel has been praying and he didn't get the answers because the angel comes to him later and says, I'm sorry, I was busy. I was off over here actually fighting a spiritual battle, right? And so it's actually the angels. Third high value target is the nation of Israel, right? God's chosen people. 
God said, I set them aside. I have chosen them. They're my beloved. And so they're actually the third one. Fourth one is unbelievers, right? To keep them distracted, to keep them deceived, to keep them, you know, away from God. And the fifth one is us. The fifth one is us. So when we start to think, oh, my life is terrible and the enemy's coming after me and after me, and he is, but keep the perspective. You're actually fifth on the list, <laughs> okay? You're fifth on the list. You see, Satan is a copycat. And where did he learn about invitations from? Because he loves to give us invitations. He learned about invitations from God because everything the enemy does is a forgery, is a copycat, of the true, authentic thing that God has intended for each one of us. You see, there are heavenly invitations. They are beautiful and glorious. And the first one is the, that I wanted to share, not the first one, but the first one I want to share is a heavenly invitation to eternity. God invites you in. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. He loved you at the beginning. He loved you long before. And it was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrifice, sorry, sacrificial offering to take away our sins, 1 John 4.10. He first loved us. And he's extending invitations to eternity all across our world. Would you believe? Would you believe in me, Jesus says, because I have first loved you. He also has invitations to baptism. And you can check that out in Acts 2.38. There's heavenly invitations to the Holy Spirit in John 14.26. He gives us invitations. He wants to be our shepherd, our living water, the bread of the presence, the alpha and the omega. He gives us invitations to hope and to blessings and favor and transformation. He gives us invitation to relationship. <clears throat> And it says in John 15, and, and I studied this passage so much over the last two weeks. I love this passage. Just read the whole chapter of John 15. But this little bit, he says, You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command. What does Jesus call you? Intimate friends. You are God's intimate friend. I have never called you servants because a master does not confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from the Father. You are a most intimate and treasured friend when you have a relationship with God. And he's calling you into a deeper relationship. He's inviting you in. He's like, come, I want to invite you in. You are my intimate and cherished friend. And then he says, I will reveal everything to you that I've heard from my father. And I love this because he doesn't say, I'll reveal part of it. I'll reveal just a portion. Maybe he reveals the things that we can handle and that we can understand in his discretion. But the more questions we ask, the more he will reveal. Why? Because he wants to reveal 
everything that he's heard from the Father. He doesn't want to hold anything back from us. It's an invitation to his presence. It's an invitation to his heart. It's an invitation to hear him. You know, this last like week and a half, when I have been feeling like life is too busy, I actually imagine myself sitting on Jesus' lap and I lean into him and I can hear his heartbeat. And it changes my perspective. It changes the outcome. It changes the atmosphere because I just want his presence. That's all I want. Like, I want to, to be a good leader. I want to love you. I want to be a good shepherd. But that's all secondary. I want his presence. I want to know him more. That's the desire of my heart. That's the goal of my life. That's the pursuit of why I get up every single day is because I want to know him more. I want to hear his heartbeat. I want to know the things that he's thinking of. And so I can just ask him. He is not a mystery. He is not mystical. He does not withhold. He is all-knowing, and he wants us to know. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is right here where we are. And he has invitations to be missionaries. If we look in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it starts with, uh, when the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus, they were ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we commanded them in your name. Because Jesus has all the authority, and he's calling every one of us. He's inviting us to be missionaries, to preach, to baptize, and to disciple. He invites us into authority, and if we keep looking in the scripture, Jesus replied, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. While you were ministering in the name of Jesus, Satan's toppled to the ground. Like, just get down there, Satan. Just get down there. You got, you got nothing here. You got no territory here. You got no ownership here. This is the, the authority, this is the, the presence of God that we are seeking after. And you are a counterfeit enemy. We don't want to have anything to do with you. It says, now you understand that I have imparted to you my authority to trample over his kingdom. So you've been given this authority. And this word authority also means, uh, it, the, the transliterated word is um, excusia, and it actually means jurisdiction. Jurisdiction, the official power to make legal decisions and judgments. You've been given jurisdiction. Isn't that amazing? Are you like, what? I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh, if you got Jesus, you're ready. You have authority to trample over the kingdom of the enemy. Why? Not because of anything that you do, but everything that God does. And, and Jesus says, you will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Why? Well, because he, we know he's not omniscient. He's not om, omnipot, omnipotent. I can't get that word. He's not He's not present everywhere. We know these things. And so how can we do this? Well, because we are connected to the one who is those things, and that's the Lord God. Absolutely nothing will harm you as you walk in this authority. He imparts authority to us. That's what Jesus Christ does, the jurisdiction. So there's no addiction 
There's no demon. There's no bad habit. There's no fault. There's no vice. There's no weakness. There's no temper. There's no anger. There's no moodiness. There's no pride. There's no self-pity. There's no strife. There's no jealousy. There's nothing that is outside the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. Do you believe it? Do you believe that? There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. So if I just name something that you're struggling with, take it to Jesus. He has all power and authority over that. He has the jurisdiction to deal with it for you. You see, you're not fighting a battle on your own. And I think that's what we do. I know this is what I do so often, is I go into the battle. <laughs> no, I can't go into the battle. Jesus goes into the battle. And I ask him to go in on my behalf and to fight the fight. Then the scripture finishes off. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. I love it. Your name is written in the book of heaven, the journals of heaven. It says in Revelation 5 that um, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father. That's you. When your name is written in the book of heaven, it will not ever be erased. Now, I remember when I was first a, first a Christian, this was a long time ago, and I was very fascinated by anything and everything that had to do with God. And I was a sponge, and I just, uh, I feel like I still am a sponge. I just want to know everything about him. But it's not just a knowing, right, like a knowledge piece. Like, I want to understand him. I want to hear his heartbeat. I want to experience his presence. Well, in the, the context of where I'd become a Christian uh, was a more con conservative denomination. And they were fantastic people, wonderful wonderful people in this denomination and taught me so much and I learned so much from them. But my friend and I, we were fascinated by the Pentecostals. Yeah, that's you guys. That's you. We were fascinated by the Pentecostals because uh, it felt to us like if we went to a Pentecostal service, there would be something weird that might happen. Do you know what I mean? Weird, right? Weird stuff might happen. We'd be wowed, right? There'd be something crazy that we might have happen to us. And we didn't really know if we believed it or not, right? But we thought it was very entertaining. And then we'd drive home and we'd talk about how ridiculous y'all were, right? That these weird things that would happen, right? In these Pentecostal services. And isn't it ironic? Now I am one of the weird in the Pentecostal services. Oh, well, the other thing we thought we'd do, as we were really fascinated, is that we would learn about angels. And so we found this book about angels and decided that we could talk to our angels. And we could talk to them and find out their name. And that our, our angels um, had names. Uh, let me just tell you, don't do this. We were not talking to angels, okay? We were talking to the enemy who had deceived and had cloaked himself. Uh, so that we, what we were seeking was more of God, but really we were seeking some entertainment. 
and we were chasing after the wow and the weird and not after the presence of God, right? The real source, the source of our joy isn't in the weird, right? It's in the wonderful counselor. The source of our joy is not in the entertainment, but in the everlasting one. The source of our joy is not the spooky, it's the Shaddai, right? And church, let us not be distracted or feel like there's an entertainment value that we want to chase after. It's God's presence. It's God's presence. It's God, it's God, it's God. There's, there's no, um, there's nothing that compares. So don't chase after something other than him. You see, he has heavenly invitations for each one of us, but we have to know what the truth is and what are the tricks and the lies of the enemy. Jesus wants to set us free. He does. He wants to set us free. Every single one of us. He wants us to have victory in our lives. And sometimes when we go after that, it can be exciting. It can be like a bit wowzers. But let's keep our eyes on the one God of heaven that gives us our victory. He is calling us up here. Pastor Greg shared this scripture a couple of weeks ago. And I just have, I have meditated and thought about this so much. Heaven invites us to come up here. Revelation 4, verse 1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. So I actually want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine this with me. Just imagine this, okay? So this is John. And he's having this vision, this revelation that Jesus is giving to him. And he says, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. <sighs> Guys, the door is open in heaven. And the same voice that I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, come up here. These are the red letters. Jesus is saying to you, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Just keep your eyes closed. Just imagine Jesus is standing there and he's like, come up here. You know, we know Emmanuel means that God dwelt among us, that he came down here. But Jesus is also calling us, come up here. Come up here. I want to show you heavenly things. Come up here. I want to show you the heavenly invitations that I have for you today. Come up here and see. The door to heaven is open. And there's an invitation. You can open your eyes. I hope you will meditate on that scripture this week. That you will ask these questions to God, right? What is it that you're inviting me to? Would you, would you call me? Would you invite me to come up here? Because Jesus, I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel. I want to think what you think. I want to smell what you smell. It's okay to ask him these kinds of questions. He says, come up here. Why? Because there's an invitation to steward glory right here, right now. 
We don't have to wait until we get to eternity. There's an invitation right here, right now, to steward his glory. You don't have to wait until you conquer the habit, right? You don't have to wait until you get through this trial, and then you're going to step into the glory and the invitation. Jesus is saying, no matter what you're going through, come up here. Come up here. One thing is that your perspective's going to change, right? Come up here. The enemy doesn't look so big when you're standing up here. Your problem doesn't look so overwhelming or intimidating when you're standing up here. And he's inviting you. He's saying, come up here. Would you steward the heavenly invitation that I have for you? Because your invitation awaits. Jesus said... Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Now, just really quickly, I wanted to share, um, my friend Lisa Hazlitt, she gave me permission to share this vision that she had about a month ago, and um, she was just in, in prayer and worship, and she felt like she could see all of these invitations that were released in the spiritual over personal people, but also over corporate people. There was invitations, and they swirled around almost like letters that were over people. And she said there were some invitations that she wanted to grab, but she could tell that they weren't right. There was something about the invitation, and so she actually looked at it and said, return to sender. It was an invitation from the enemy. It was an invitation to distraction, an invitation to division, invitations to complaining and to bitterness, all these kinds of invitations. So just because there's invitations doesn't mean that we just take them. We have to discern through the Holy Spirit which ones that we accept. And so she said, return to sender to some of those. But she wanted to focus in on what was Jesus inviting her into. What were the personal invitations that he was calling her to? And so I wonder for us, what are your personal invitations that God is inviting you into that you want to accept? Is it maybe forgiveness? Is it unity? There's a lot of negative talk right now. There's a lot of divisiveness. Vaccinations, non, masks, not. There's a lot. Have you accepted an invitation from the enemy and you need to return to sender so that you can accept an invitation of compassion for the people that are around you? Do you need to accept an invitation to active listening, to listen to the people that are around you? Do you need to accept an invitation to be a missionary, to change jobs, to do something radical for him? Whatever you're accepting, remember our goal is to draw closer to God. We don't want to accept any invitations that pull us away, but everything that draws closer to him. So what do our invitations say? I've asked Maddie to prepare something. I don't know if she's up there. I don't see her up there, Maddie. Oh, she's up there. So when I was praying for you all this week, I actually could see what Lisa was, was sharing and just these like invitations that were all over the room. And so I've got this visual for you just to help you to understand. And these are heavenly invitations that God is releasing. So I'm going to count to three and then, and then Maddie's going to do it. Okay, so you ready? One, two, three. Ooh. We 
We should have suspended Maddie over the ceiling right here, hey? We could have had her like, you know, come in like a wrecking ball or like an angel, like, yeah, up here. So those were, those were like a visual of the invitations that God is releasing. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close together. And I want you to be asking Jesus this question right now. Like, let's do this right now. Let's not go and be distracted and forget it. Let's ask him right now. Jesus, are there invitations from the enemy that I've accepted that I need to return to sender? And I want you just to clear your mind. Let's just ask him. Is there an invitation I need to return to sender? Is there something that I need to go repair or restore? Is there an invitation I accepted and eek, it, it doesn't taste good, it doesn't feel good, there's been some hurt, there's been some harm, and I need to return it to sender and I need to resolve it. And if you feel like there is something and you want to go deeper in prayer, at the end of our service, we have our prayer team here. You can also request prayer online. Click the prayer button and somebody will gladly pray with you online if you feel like there's something that God is speaking. I need to return to sender that thing from the enemy and and purge that out of my life. And let's ask Jesus, what invitations are you releasing from heaven? just like our confetti that like went over us, the sanctuary. What invitations are there from you, Jesus? What are you calling me into? Let's just ask him right now. Jesus, thank you that you speak to us, Lord God. I can just hear him saying, business. Someone's being invited into business. I can hear him saying, adoption. Someone's being invited into adoption or maybe going to be adopting. I don't know. That's the word that I I just felt, adoption, business. Someone's being invited into certification. And maybe these invitations connect for you. I I don't know. But what is Jesus inviting you into? Forgiveness, repentance, righteousness, obedience. What is he inviting you into? Please don't just cast this away and think I'll do this another time. He has heavenly invitations that he is releasing for you to step into. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you have all authority. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you don't just sit on a throne dictating and demanding, but that you dwell amongst us. Thank you that you're that God. Thank you that you call us, that you say, come up here. Come up here. I want to reveal to you. I want to share with you. I want to do life with you. I want you to see you call us into your presence. You invite us. 
Thank you, God. That's who you are, that that's your character. Thank you, Jesus.